Hey everyone, it's the Monty Man, and you are about to take part in the experience, the strength, and the hope of this episode of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. Three, two, one, zero. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Come here for a minute. I want to talk to you. Against the wall, can't find peace of mind. Brain needs an overhaul. Bonehead brain. The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show are those of the co-host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of our affiliates. The topics and opinions on today's show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice. Take 12 Radio is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, The Man, The Myth, The Legend, The Monty Man. Welcome aboard, everyone. Welcome to the Tank 12 Recovery Radio Show. I am your host, the Monty Man, and I am solo in the studio today and will be for the next several weeks uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, we here at KHLT Recovery Broadcasting and Take 12 Recovery Radio are honoring uh, the, the suggestions to uh, protect our health. And so I am in the studio by myself uh, practicing social distancing, I suppose, and uh, but we we don't want to stop broadcasting. Is so what we want to do for you is for the next several weeks we're going to be digging into the archives of what I consider really one of the most valuable presentations when it comes to recovery that we've ever done. Now these are recorded from 2015. Um, the show, the whole series that we did with Dr. Alan Berger, author of Twelve Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery. Uh, 12 more stupid things, 12 smart things to do when the booze and drugs are gone, uh, and just a lot of books. He uh, is a really a, a major player in the recovery community. Uh, Dr. Berger has been a major influence in my life and my own recovery. And we did this series called uh, Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety. Now listen, uh, to kind of put my spin on it, emotional dependency is when we are dependent on other people to be okay in our own skin. I'm dependent on you and your behaviors and my expectations of how you should behave in order to be okay with myself. And that's not healthy. That's emotional dependency. Emotional sobriety, however, 
is when regardless of what you do, regardless of the environment, regardless of the things going on around me, I can lay my head down on my pillow at night. I can go to sleep. I'm comfortable in my own skin regardless of the behaviors of others. And that, for Monty, is emotional sobriety. Now, listen, we're living in a time right now when emotional sobriety and learning how to practice that is of the utmost importance uh, with all that's going on. People are freaking out. People are uh, are, are, are just well, they're just putting a spin on this whole COVID-19 thing to where they are panicking unnecessarily. Now, it is important that we take care of our health. It's important that we follow um, uh, certain guidelines. But to be so upset that you are so stressed out that your immune system actually drops and it puts you in into a place where you are more, more vulnerable uh, to catch this virus, well, that's that's kind of on you. Calm down, breathe, pray, meditate. You, you, we've we've got to chill here. Uh, placebos work. We know that. Uh, why wouldn't they work in reverse? You know, we're stressing out. We're freaking out. We're we're telling ourselves it's the end of the world and all all this crazy stuff that we've been hearing, and then we make ourselves sick. So placebos work both ways. So I wanted to present this, um, at least several of these from this series, Step-by-Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger, because I think it's very timely for the time we're in right now. So we're going to start out with unpacking Bill Wilson's letter. He he said that emotional sobriety was the next frontier. And uh, so I'm just going to turn this over to you, the listeners, to listen to this discussion I'm having with Dr. Alan Berger, you can visit his website at www.abphd.com to get more information uh, from his amazing website and the amazing work he's doing for the recovery community. Now, keep in mind, because this is a recording from 2015, that there may be uh, promotionals or giveaways, that kind of thing, that don't apply right now. So please don't call in or email to try to win uh, books or CDs that may be presented on this show. So here's myself and Dr. Alan Berger with the pilot show, Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety. Dr. Berger, how you doing there, my friend? Molly, I am wonderful, and I also want to extend a very warm welcome to all our listeners. Uh, I really, really believe that if they stay tuned to us and and really check out every week what we're doing, that uh, that they that their recovery is going to be enriched, and that they're going to get some great ideas about how to meet the many challenges that we all face in life. Yeah, you you bet, you bet. It's gonna be. It, this is gonna be a great show. We're gonna do some series. We're gonna do. We're gonna be touching on all sorts of things. And uh, listeners, uh, please let your friends know. Go to your social net, social networking sites and and share this. Uh, it's all over our social networking sites. And uh, remember, uh, our email address here is take twelve radio at comcast. 
dot net. You can go to our main page at Take12Radio.com and click on our contacts link there too as well. And uh, just so you know, folks, if you are looking at this or listening to this off your PC or your smartphone, there is a link to uh, Dr. Berger's site right below his bio, uh, short bio there. But before we start uh, what we're doing today, um, Dr. Berger, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and how you got to this point and what you're doing? I, I sure can, Monty. Um, my journey started back in 1971. I just had come back from Vietnam. I was in the United States Marine Corps. I was stationed outside of uh, Da Nang City on Hill 55. And when I went into Marine Corps, I had a very, very serious drinking problem. And uh, after returning from Vietnam, my uh, problem escalated. And now in addition to having a problem with the drug alcohol, I had a problem with any drugs I could get my hands on. I, I was one of those junkies that would use anything. Mm. And uh, and I was in serious trouble. And I ended up getting some help, Monty. I was the third Marine admitted into a very special program where they were given amnesty to Vietnam vets instead of, at that point, discharging them and throwing them out of the Corps. They decided to rehabilitate us. And that's when my journey in recovery started in the wow. summer of 1971. And uh, one day at a time, here in about a month, I'm going to be celebrating 42 years of being clean and sober. 42 years, and and you don't look a day over 18. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, buddy. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is uh, you you take care of yourself, don't you? You exercise. Well, you I, do, I try to, yeah. and I really do try to. And so, so my journey started then. What, what I tell everybody is, what I'm sharing my story is that three important things happened, I think, that helped me maintain my recovery for this length of time. Obviously, it's the grace of a power greater than myself, but I turned on to recovery. I really did. At that point, I, I really, when I walked, when I heard my sponsor, Tom, talk, he awakened something in me that made me want to become the best person I could be. And he inspired me, and I really believe that that motivation, that motivation to grow, to self-actualize, really took hold at that point. Mm -hmm. The other thing is I got turned on to helping people. I became a counselor at that drug program because, you know, the program was brand new. I was like, uh, I think, 60 days clean and sober when they invited me to become a counselor, and I fell in love with being of service and helping other people. And then I went back to school. And I had a desire to get my Ph.D. in clinical psychology, and I'm very, very proud to say with the help of the program, I graduated in 1987 from the University of California, Davis, with a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. Wow. So quite a ride, my friend. So when, when you say with the help of the program, I love that because, I mean, I, I know the fellowship's great and all, too. But the structure that the program gave you, the the written word, so to speak, and uh, you know, I I know what you mean when you say that. I mean, it's 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 all you know, there's so much in there. Um, do you you believe that without the help of your higher power in this thing that you could have done this? Oh no, no, it wouldn't have happened. I, yeah. I, 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 I there is no question in my mind. I'd either be in prison, I'd be dead, or I'd be in an institution somewhere. Yeah. There is no question in my mind. It really was grace that that acted in my life, Bonnie. You bet. And uh, and you know and you know one of the things I tell people when I'm sharing is over these forty two years and in, in being interested in a student in psychology, I was very interested in understanding 
the psychological principles that were operating in the 12 steps. And that's something that I've devoted my whole career to really, really understand because I could see real quickly, you know, once I started my studies, that the soundness of the psychological principles that were operating the steps were very, very clear to me. And what I've done is I've tried to help articulate that, understand it, share it with others, so that we can heal the split between what I call the recovery community and the mental health profession. Oh, amen to that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you know, they just, there's still so many folks that are in, that might even some of my colleagues and psychologists that just don't understand the process of recovery. You know, they think that because we accept that we have a disease that we're copying out. And you and I know yeah. that I'm more responsible in my life today than I've ever been. Right. And that, more responsible. And I, and I have to take responsibility on a daily basis if I want to continue to, you know, enjoy and experience my recovery. You know, I had, uh, Dr. Berger, I had somebody tell me one time, they said, don't you think your God's a crutch, this higher power and, and, and all, all this stuff that you're doing? I said, well, what makes you think I'm not crippled? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I like that one. And, you know, and what we're going to show people is that the, the real purpose of the program, in my opinion, is that it helps us grow up. It helps us finally start to mature. And really, that's the heart of what we're going to be talking to people about in emotional sobriety. Because after you put the plug in the jug, you know, that's the first phase of recovery, right? Ernie Larson called it stage one recovery. And if you haven't read Ernie Larson's book on stage two recovery, I encourage all of you listeners, get yourself a copy. It's a fantastic piece of literature and was very important in our, in our understanding of the recovery process. This book's two recovery since stage one was breaking the bonds of addiction where stage two recovery had to do with our relationships ah. and stage two recovery is very much is focused on that emotional sobriety because we can't have healthy relationships if we don't have emotional sobriety very true very well said very well said so okay so you you got into this field uh and, and, and I will say this so you don't have to say you did a shameless plug. I'm going to do it for you. Uh, listeners, Dr. Dr. Alan Berger is a world-renowned recovery author. One of my favorite books that, that he's ever written is 12 Stupid Things to Mess Up Recovery. And uh, you can go back in our archives and listen to the interview about that show if you like. Uh, but uh, you, you've written a number of things. You've done a number of videos you've, and so forth and so on. And now you've joined us here. You've joined the Take 12 Recovery family. I am just tickled to death to have you uh, as part of this as part of this venture, man. This is just so awesome. I feel the same way, Monty. I, I, you know, when we first met, when we when you uh, had me on your show to talk about stupid things that mess up recovery, you know, right then I knew that I was, uh, that we were very, very like-minded people and that we really connected. And I really respect the work you've been doing and the dedication. I mean, I don't know if your listeners realize how much sacrifice and how much that, you know, blood, sweat, and tears from your end of things goes into this program. And so I'm so pleased to be a part of this. I'm hoping that we can together and with all the other things you're doing, you know, bring Take 12 Radio 
into the hearts and minds of everybody in recovery because there's so much that they can gain from listening to all of your shows on that on your program. Well, bless bless your heart, and and this is going to be just great. Now, uh, here here's the deal, listeners. We're going to do something. This it might be a little different than the other shows, and and that's great. We don't want everything to be exactly the same, but we're going to be uh, doing something here in the next few weeks. And I want you to know, every Saturday, this show is going to air. It will also go into an archive. Um, the archive will be listed at the bottom of the page. You don't have to go to an archive page like some of the other shows. We're going to put the past shows at the bottom of the page so you can go back and listen uh, to those shows as well. Uh, they will be available for download for one week as an MP3 download. Other than that, you can just, just click on the play button. Uh, if you have a problem doing any of that, and you want us to send you a copy of the show uh, via an MP3 file, just let me know and send me your email address, and I'll send one off to you. Because some folks, uh, Dr. Berger, as you know, a lot of folks are throwing away their desktops, and they're just totally on their, their smartphones. Um, right. And and iPhones has no problems with it. Android is a little tricky because they've gotten rid of the Flash Player app. Uh, so if you have a problem please email me at take12radio at comcast.net and we'll make sure that we, – because we don't want you to miss out on any of these things. So what are we doing? Well, let, let me set this up a little bit. You know, when I've gone back and studied this, because this whole topic, this emotional sobriety, really was the focus of my second book that I wrote for Hazelton called 12 Smart Things You Can Do um, When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone. And that whole book is about emotional sobriety. And even in my book, just like what we're going to do, Monty, I said that it's best to start with the first piece of literature that I could find that discussed this whole topic of emotional sobriety. And that was this letter that Bill Wilson wrote to a depressed um, AA uh, fellow member. Um, this letter became published in 1958 in the AA Grapevine, and it was titled um, uh, The Next Frontier, Emotional Sobriety, or Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier. And I think it's just so important that we start by unpacking this, because this is going to lead us into a lot of different directions. I think our listeners are going to be fascinated when they see us tying together all of these other psychologists and their thoughts about what goes on with us and what we struggle with and how Bill had so much insight into the human condition and into himself that he shared with us. You know, Money, I call this Bill Wilson's fourth legacy. Mm. And I think it's, yeah, it's very important. You know, the first three legacies are the steps, the traditions, and, and the general service office that he left us. But his fourth legacy is this whole issue of emotional sobriety. And that's what we're going to be starting with. And my dear friend, um, Ashton, is, has been gracious enough to record a, a, this letter for us. We're going to listen to some segments of it, and then you and I are going to kick it around. All right, so here's our first segment. Uh, uh, and this is, uh, this, is a, this is a reading of that comes from the original letter from Bill W. Here we go. I think many oldsters who have put our booze cure to severe but successful tests still find they often lack emotional sobriety. 
Perhaps they will be the spearhead for the next major development in AA, the development of much more real maturity and balance, which is to say humility, in our relations with ourselves, with our fellows, and with God. Well, that's a mouthful. <laughs> wow. It is a mouthful, and it's, and it's brilliant. I mean, let's take a minute and really just digest what Bill said here, because it's, it's pretty phenomenal what he was talking about. So, as I mentioned, this is the first um, place that I could find that emotional sobriety was even mentioned. Mm. Uh, nowhere else. Now, my hunch would be, knowing Bill, he had been probably talking about this in meetings before that. So let's go back. Let's turn the clock back to when he wrote this. In 1956, Bill had 21 years of sobriety. Now, what did he do in those first 21 years that got him to this point? Well, you and I know that he worked hard on his recovery. Yeah. He had spiritual direction from some of the great spiritual leaders in our country at that time. Um, the Reverend Schumacher was one of them. There was a, um, a Catholic priest that he had a lot of direction from. So he was given a lot of spiritual direction. But he was also, and some people don't understand this, Monty, he was also very close to a psychiatrist. And this psychiatrist was very, very helpful. So a lot of people don't understand Bill Wilson was also in therapy. Yeah, right. right. And it was Dr. Harry Tebow. In fact, Dr. Tebow was the, the therapist for Dr. Marty Mann, which was the first female member mm -hmm. of Alcoholics Anonymous. So... Dr. Tebow was quite familiar with what was going on in the program, and he helped Bill work on a number of different issues during that 21 years. So what we're going to see in this letter is an integration of Bill's experience in recovery and working the steps, his experience from getting spiritual direction and being a real student of spirituality, and also being a patient and looking at himself from a psychiatric or psychological point of view. So um, we're going to credit Bill with a lot in this, because we're going to really see the amount of work that took place in him and the insights that he garnered from that work, which are pretty substantial. So that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is that look at what he says. He says, this is going to be the, really the spearhead for the next major development in the program. And why is that? Well, we all know that just putting a plug in the jug is not enough. Right. You know, that, that our, our disease, our addiction, our alcoholism, our drug addiction, it is a manifestation of an underlying problem. Yeah, that's right. If we say it's a spiritual problem. We're going to be able to understand what that means more and more. But what he says here is that if somebody really works on this next stage of their development, and Bill really thought of recovery as being in stages, that they're going to develop much more real maturity and balance in their life. And he says, which is to say humility, and I love this, he says, in relationship with ourselves, with our fellows, and with God. So it's a very, very, very important part of this whole recovery process that we pay attention to this next stage in our development, which you and I are calling emotional sobriety. Wow. And don't don't you find, isn't it so frustrating when you, you see people, and we've experienced it too ourselves, getting stuck 
in the beginning yeah. and not yeah. going any further? Yeah, no, it, it's very true. And, you know, I, the other thing I would say, I see that happen all the time, is that we hit an impasse. And, look, the steps are designed to help us address that impasse if we work them. There's no question. And one of the, the exciting things that I think our listeners are going to see is how all the stuff that we talk about here, about emotional sobriety, you're going to be able to go back, and if you've worked step four, you're going to be able to see how this connects to your work in step four. And if you work step six and seven, you're going to see how this relates to what happened in six and seven for you, and especially if you've worked steps eight, nine, and ten. I call those three steps the gateway to our emotional sobriety. Hmm, good, good. All right, uh... Do you, do you want to play the second song? I want to say one other thing about this. Yeah. Now, he says in relationship with our fellows, we understand uh, that we're in relationships with our fellows, but a lot of people don't stop and ponder what it means to be in relationship with ourselves. <laughs> so that's yeah. an interesting thing, isn't it, when he says, in our relationship with ourselves, to have much more real maturity and balance. So what he's saying here is that we have to pay attention to how we treat ourselves how we deal with ourselves, and how we deal with our emotions. One of the best definitions of self-esteem I have ever heard is that self-esteem is the reputation you have with yourself. Mm. Wow. Fantastic. And that, that is good. And here, here's the thing, and I, we, we both have heard this, and, and I'm sure listeners, you've heard it, if not said it yourself. Um, you know, I'm a loser. I'm just a drunk. You know, I was in a, a meeting, uh, a 12-step support group meeting the other day where somebody says, I, I'm so-and-so and I'm just a drunk. And there was two things there. First of all, he wasn't drunk, so I, I kind of wondered about that. And when he said, just a, uh, I was, I am just a, uh, you know. And and I'm like, it's so sad because it, I, this is this is a, a little piece of my own personal opinion here, if I may. Mm-hmm. If 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 God did create us in his image and spoke us into existence, don't you think that we speak our stuff into existence many times? Yeah. You know, and, and I mean and going around saying, I'm just this, or I'm a loser, or I'm a junkie, or I'm you know and that's not to be confused with hi, I'm so and so, I'm an alcoholic. That's a whole different a whole different ball right. of wax. Right. Um, but this thing of, you know, you know, well, somebody says, well, you know what? I've really gotten healthier since I've been doing this. Somebody says, well, keep coming back. You know, that doesn't help. The, the fact is yeah. we can get well. We can recover, right? We sure can. And, and look, a big part of our problem, as people are going to see, is not that we're irresponsible. Yeah. Oh, yes, we've acted irresponsibly. But where this comes from is that we often have such an unrealistic um, idea of who we need to be to be okay, to be loved, to belong, to be accepted. Yeah. So we set the bar so high in our life that it's impossible for us to live up to it. So our self-esteem, our reputation with ourselves is terrible. Most of us feel very unworthy. And that's a big problem, Monty, because... You know, to get well, there has to be some semblance of feeling worthy of this incredible gift we're going to be given. Mm. And this is a big thing that a lot of people struggle with early on in recovery until they start to take some right action 
and start to do some things, and then they start to feel worthy. Well, I, uh, uh, my, my pastor often says, okay, you guys, you all know that God loves you, but did you know that God likes you? <laughs> Isn't like that, that cool? One. Okay, we got, a, fantastic. we got a second so that's side. That's happen here. So yeah. a lot of what, and I want the listeners to understand it. See, so I'm going to be coming much more from the psychological point of view on this stuff. And, Mommy, you're going to be the voice of the spirituality. Gotcha. Now, I'm going to chime in on that, too. I think I've got a little of that through the 42 years. I, I think so. Well. <laughs> but, but you're really, I really want you to be that voice, and I think that that's how we've kind of set this up. I'll just, I'm the psychology guy, and, and you're the guy that's really grounded in a very, very strong spirituality in the program. So oh, um, you're going to be hearing money make comments like that, and I'm going to be on the other side. All right. And here's a great thing about it. We're on the same side. Yeah. And we are on the same side. Yeah, We're that's what I'm going to be talking about, the, the different dimensions, and they're all yeah. connected. See, yeah. that's what I want people to see is that, they're going to get so excited in seeing how we integrate this all, because spirituality is about the psychology, and the psychology is about the spirituality. It's just that we're talking for, about it from a different perspective. Yeah, you bet. Okay, we have a second soundbite. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Those adolescent urges that so many of us have for top approval, perfect security, and perfect romance, urges quite appropriate to age 17 proved to be an impossible way of life when we are at age 47 and 57. Oh, you mean I can't chase the old stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, boy, but it comes to price. Oh, it, it does, it does. <laughs> I mean, how, how insightful is this? So, in other words, Bill is saying that there's a part of us that's just never grown up. Yeah. And see, that's so important for us to own that I'm immature. I'm still very, very adolescent, you know, teenager-like in my ideas about how life is supposed to be and how things are supposed to be. I like how he says top approval. I want everybody to like me. Perfect security. I want to feel fine all the time. I want to be happy. And perfect romance. I just want to be in a relationship that has no conflict. And that, uh, you know, she loves me, and, and, and I think a lot of people, what that means is that's mm. everything I want her to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, of course, it proves to be an impossible way of life. It's a possible way of life when we're 47, when we're 27, when we're 37, and if he says when we're 57, 67, you know, it's just sticking that square peg in a round hole. It just doesn't work because that's not, it's not reality. And we're going to be talking about it. But I just want to say this. Where did this come from? Where did this desire for perfect security, top approval, and perfect romance come from? Well, it happened very early in life, Monty. You see, at some point in life, I, I believe we all start out with our true self, right? Our God self, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. And if we're encouraged to grow along those lines, we will be who we were meant to be who God meant us to be. But what happens very early on is we get anxious. We get anxious that we're not going to be loved. We get anxious that we're not going to belong. We get anxious that we're not going to be accepted. And that anxiety drives us to develop, to design, and, and engineer a false self. And this false self, we think, is going to get us this top approval. 
perfect security and perfect mm. romance. So this this false self, we'll call it the idealized self, it's idealized because we've idealized it to the point of thinking we're going to get this top approval, perfect security and perfect romance. So we spend all of the our energy to grow towards manifesting this false self. And when we've done that is when the trouble really begins. So what happened is, and this is, it's, it's so important for our listeners to get this, because this is the, the key to this whole thing about emotional sobriety. Very early on, we decided that we had to control ourselves and others to be okay. Mm. This happened before we even picked up a drink. This happened before we hit five years old, Mommy. I mean, this is amazing yeah. when we stop to think about it. I believe it. it. I believe so, it. You got it. See, you see it, and I see it. So that early on, we decided we had to control our life to be okay, and that we had to control other people to be okay. That's when our trouble really started. And so we were, our instincts, our desires were always colliding with others because we were trying to get other people to do what we needed them to do for us to be okay. Yeah. We're going to see that that, that is at the heart of the problem for us. If we don't address this, if we don't get honest enough with ourselves to see how manipulative we are and what we've been doing, we're never going to be able to achieve this emotional sobriety. Boy, and that's going to help us do that. That is going to help us do that. That falls right in line with with uh, with the the whole description of the God given instincts and how they're thwarted and so forth in the twelve by twelve. You know how how we pervert these things and and go after you know uh, 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 security and and sex and and all that stuff. I mean, it, it, right. it's just so a trip. every one of those things. See, we're doing that in order for us to soothe ourselves, in order yeah. for us to feel okay. Is, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. It, it, okay, so um, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about uh, going to the high school dance. And I don't dance very good, but uh, I want to make an impression. I, I know I, I think I dance better when I've been drinking. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so I so I drink, and we hear stories like this all the time. It made me feel like I danced better, and I could open yeah, up. And it, is this part of that? Oh boy, you know I I'm so glad you. I mean that that's you're right on in doing this. So now now let's tie that piece in. So now we're trying to be this false self, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? Alcohol comes in our life, and we realize you know what? That can help us pull this off. Yeah. See, this is what Jelnick called, when we start drinking for the, a personal reason, we're in trouble. So when we start to drink to support, to reinforce our false self and who we think we need to be, we are, are, we're hooked on our first drink. We're hooked on the first pill that we've used. We're hooked mm. on the first time that we smoked a joint. Because now it's gotten told, it'll get totally woven into the web of that false self. And as you know, and now because of what we understand about addiction, the addiction will hijack the brain anyway. The false self has done it earlier on, and now it's also got the addiction. And so we're, we're goners, man. I mean, wow. There's, there's, I mean, we're, we're heading down that road fast. So we can be hooked before we're ever chemically dependent. Yep, you got it. Yeah. I really believe that. I totally, I mean, I, 
the first time I took a drink at 12 years old, yeah. I was an alcoholic. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't know if I was born one, but I'll tell you the minute I took that drink, an Me alcoholic too. was born. Me too. Absolutely. In fact, in fact, the first drink I took, um, it's it's amazing to me now. Um, I took the biggest glass in the cupboard and poured it full of Christian Brothers brandy. Wow. And, and why didn't I just take a little a little bit? I, I just no, you know interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And, and then I huh? I drank it and I immediately poured myself another one and drank yeah. it down. Well, see, this is another good point that you make. Is what we're gonna we're gonna help our listeners see is that one of the the things that we're addicted to, and one of the characteristics of the false self, is that it believes that I am more the more I have. Ah. And so we get hooked into this idea: I've got to have more to be okay. So of course you couldn't just have a little drink; you had to have more. Right. Yeah, have the whole glass full. And it's not like I just have to have a little success. I have to have success after success after success to be okay. <laughs> I've got to be loved all the time to be okay. You see that that this I you know I am addicted to more is such a problem that we have, and is also a part of this what we're going to call emotional dependency, because we believe that what we have defines us. That what we have. It's an indication of our self-esteem. So if you're a woman, if I have beauty, then I feel okay about myself. If I have a great body, then I feel okay about myself. If we're a guy, if I'm successful in my work, then I'm okay about myself. But what we lost sight of and something that Bill reminded us of is that we lost sight of the importance of character. We mm. lost sight of the importance of being. It's not just about having. It's about being, and we never understood that in our development. Yeah, yeah. We've got to uh, take a short break, and we're going to back. We're going to listen to two more uh, sound uh, clips from Bill W.'s letter. Um, what was I going to say? It was really intelligent. Now I can't remember. <laughs> oh, my God. It'll come back. Yeah, I know. Okay, folks, don't go away. More with Dr. Allen Berger and uh, our brand-new show, Step by step towards emotional sobriety when we return. Hey, Justin, Sarah. Hi, Ricky. Hi. Hey, listen, I just heard about some kids who might try to get some beer. So, why are you telling us? Yeah. Well, because I thought maybe we could go and, you know, drink. Why? Um, because, I guess because it's cool. Cool? Why is it cool? Well, you know, we can go and get wasted. And why would we want to get wasted? Well, remember that time when we heard some older kids talking about doing it? So, why should we do it? Well, I guess... I guess I don't know. Sooner or later, someone may ask you if you want to drink. If that ever happens to you, maybe there's something you should ask them. Like, why? Because the fact is, most kids don't drink. Even older kids. So think about it. There's no good reason to drink. Want to know more? Check out thecoolspot.org. You and I know all too well how talented folks in recovery are. KHLT Broadcasting, the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show, and the Recovery Broadcasting Network are handing you the opportunity to share some of that talent. If you've ever written your own songs and have always wanted to share them publicly, here's the chance to share your talent with thousands of people all over the world through Internet Radio. For the next several months, the Monty Men will be reviewing songs written and performed by people in recovery. Whether you're an accomplished musician or a novice, he wants 
wants to hear from you. All forms of music will be considered. Adhering to federal copyright laws and possible contractual agreements, some restrictions may apply. To submit your songs, please send a CD to KHLT P.O. Box 93, Albany, Oregon, 97321. This is Chris Schroeder. You are listening to Take12Radio.com, recovery talk and positive music. All right, and we have returned. And on the phone with me is uh, the, uh, the man that, that I got to say I have learned so much from already and continuing to, and I know you will too. I encourage you to tune in every Saturday for a step uh, by step towards emotional sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger. Okay, we've got a uh, we've got a third uh, soundbite here from Bill's letter. You ready to listen to this, uh, Dr. Berger? That sounds great. All right, here we go. Since AA began, I've taken immense wallops in all these areas because of my failure to grow up emotionally and spiritually. My God, how painful it is to keep demanding the impossible, and how very painful to discover finally that all along we had the cart before the horse. Then comes the final agony of seeing how awfully wrong we have been, but still finding ourselves unable to get off the emotional merry-go-round. Wow. Oh, oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Huh? I mean, first of all, the first thing I'm always struck by when I hear this with this bite is this sound bite is just Bill's level of honesty. Yeah. And his willingness to to be vulnerable with us. You know, he talks about his failure to grow up emotionally, spiritually. Here's the co-founder of the program saying that he's immature. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's phenomenal to me. See, I think it's that commitment we have to our authenticity, uh, Monty, that is one of the things that inspired me when I first came to the program. Where else can we experience this level of true speaking? It's yeah. very, very powerful, isn't it? And it really touches my soul. I imagine it touches yours as well. It does, and it shows me what people that come to a place of total desperation that are are able to to move in this direction uh, of the twelve steps and, and so forth. How vulnerable they're willing to be, how open they're willing yeah. to be, it is right. absolutely amazing. Because before we, like we were talking about, we had all sorts of facades going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Isn't that true, huh? Oh, gee. We we develop that false self, and we play a game. You know, I was at a meeting the other day, and one of the things that this person shared, and, and this, uh, we were talking about this topic of, of emotional sobriety, one of the things that she shared that her sponsor said to us when she first came to the program, she says, if you stick around, you're going to just become one person. Hmm. I like that. Mm. You're not going to have to be a chameleon. You're not going to have to change yourself to get people to like you, to get be accepted. You're going to be able to accept yourself and be able yeah. to stand on your own two feet. I thought that was brilliant. What about what about? Okay, wait, this is so difficult though because we live in a we live in a world today that requires you to be one kind of person at work. One kind of person at home, one kind of person at your 12-step fellowship, another kind of person with your buddies. I mean, we, we kind of grew up doing that kind of stuff. And I understand, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, some of that's okay, right? I mean, you've got to be a professional at work. 
right? You can let your hair down a little bit more at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's gone too far. Well, let's let's talk about that for a minute because one of the things that you know we know is what is said in in step number twelve, where we practice these principles in all our affairs. Yeah. So that means that you are being guided by these principles in every facet of your life. So I would say that's true as long as you're responding differently in those situations and still being true to yourself. Okay. See, if, if you're responding in those situations to manipulate other people, that's your false self. Yeah. Your true self is when you are operating differently in those situations because they require a different part of you. Sure. They require different things from you. In fact, one of the things we're going to see that when you're your false self, you can't be flexible. Ah, that's, stuck, that's important. Stuck in a rigid position. You are. When you're your true self, you can be flexible because you're not committed. You don't have to be any one thing to be okay. You are just okay. Yeah, because if I if I if I'm being someone else that I've created this 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 false self uh, with you, and I'm exhausted and I'm with you for the whole weekend, I can't change that because then I'll be found out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got it. Wow. Look at this. Just ties right into what Bill was saying. He says. How painful it is to keep demanding the impossible. Demanding the impossible is to try to get the world to do what we want it to do. See, that's what he means when he said that all along we had the cart before the horse, because we think we had to manipulate the world to be okay, to get the world to do what we wanted to do, instead of learning how to make ourselves okay, to regulate ourselves, so that we can deal better with whatever is happening in the world enough. You know, and I, wow, it, it it's it's sad to see folks, and we talked about before about being stuck. Um, comes come to a point, and, and I, I'm going to venture to say, come so far. I mean, some people might say, well. You know, working on steps one and two, for instance, isn't that far. For some people, that is a, an enormous bridge to yeah, to, to right. cross. Uh, and so you have somebody that's worked so hard, and then they stop, and they're starting to get a little bit of this, yeah. um, and they still hold on to that that false self thing, and uh, it carries through with them. They carry it through all the way to step twelve, and what happens is. We've got a full-blown, blossomed half measure. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Well, listen, that's a very good way to say it. See, this is, this is if we put it in the language that, that we are starting to talk about now, is the first step deconstructs our reliance on that false self. See, it shatters our reliance on that. Right. And so it has to. See, if we're going to build our life on a new foundation, then we have to totally deconstruct the foundation that we've been operating from. Mm -hmm. And so it's brilliant the way it does it, is that we admit it we were powerless over alcohol or our addiction, whatever you want to put in there, and that our lives have become unmanageable. So it really challenges this false self at its basic core, because what it says is you can't control anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What did I say earlier? The whole false self is all about what? Control. control. Yeah. Right? It wants the control. We want to control ourselves to make ourselves into who we think we should be. And this is where shoulds come in. I mean, we'll talk a lot about the shoulds 
are a manifestation of the tyranny of this false self. So that's where the shoulds come in, in terms of I should be this way and I should be that way, and that's all reflects who we think uh, our false self or our idealized wow. self is. Wow. Because because nearly no one wants to admit complete defeat. <laughs> you got it. See, wow. and that's the problem. Yeah. Who is it, right? In our society, what is it? You know, it's, it's you've got to be independent. You've got to be able to take and manage your own life. I mean, men have this and women have this, is that we've got to be able to take care. That's what we think. That's who we think we should be. You and I know that as we get more and more mature, we realize I can't do this by myself. Right. You know, right. I need you. You need me. It takes it takes our fellowship. It takes our partnership. It takes our working together to be able to to create uh, the kind of life that we would really enjoy having. Yeah, yeah, right on. All right, here's our fourth sound bite from Bill's letter. Sounds great. How to translate a right mental conviction into a right emotional result, and so into easy, happy, and good living. Well, that's not only the neurotics' problem. It's the problem of life itself for all of us who have got to the point of real willingness to hew to right principles in all our affairs. <laughs> I love it. It's not only the neurotics problem. <laughs> I know. Isn't that comforting? <laughs> yeah, it's the problem of life itself, right, for all of us. So uh, what is this that we're talking about? How to translate a right mental conviction into a right emotional result. So let's take that apart for a minute. Mark. Okay. What, what are you saying here? Is that... When we come in the program, we can get these things intellectually pretty quick. You know, once the drugs get out of our body, you know, on the average, our IQ raises about 10 points. I'm not kidding you. Oh, wow. I mean, that's how much damage has been done, how much, uh, you know, damage to our, our ability to process information and comprehend things. So our IQ picks up. We start to pick up these concepts. We can see that, you know what? This makes a lot of sense, but there's something that happens on an emotional level where we don't necessarily know how to plug it in. I mean, we can, how many times, you know, in my own personal experience, I sounded great when I shared in a meeting, and then I went home and I acted the opposite way. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, what happened here? You know, what, what went on that I wasn't able to take what I knew, I had that right mental conviction, but why couldn't I turn it into a right emotional result? Well, here we're, we're really understanding a very important thing about recovery. What we learn has to be integrated, not only intellectually, but also on an emotional level. When we do that work on that emotional level and put together what we understand with what we feel, then that becomes integrated into our life, and we're now able to use that information to deal with ourselves emotionally, not just intellectually. Hmm. So this becomes a very important part, because what we're going to be asking people to do over these next weeks, when we go further and further into unpacking Bill's letter, and starting to delve into what you can do, what they can do out there to start to look at this, they're going to have to take an emotional inventory. They're going to have to get honest with themselves, Monty, and start looking at some things about themselves that are not easy. Now, I would say this. While it's not a requirement, but if you go and get a hold of my book, 12 Smart Things to Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone, 
I think it would be very helpful to read along as we go or read the book because it'll help make a lot of sense of what we're talking about. And, you know, just before I, uh, uh, yesterday, I think I was telling you one of the things I'm very excited about that I was doing yesterday is I um, uploaded my uh, audio CD that's called Unpacking Bill's Letter to iTunes and Amazon MP3. So by next week sometime, that's also going to be available for people to download. Awesome, awesome. And you can go, folks, uh, the website you can uh, go to directly, and there's the link right here on our ma- our page here uh, for this Saturday show, is AB, that stands for Alan Berger, PhD.com. Pretty easy to remember. Alan Berger, PhD.com. AB, PhD.com. And you can get, you, you can get uh, uh, the CDs on emotional sobriety. You can get the books. You can get everything you've got, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of great resources that they can tap into there. And I would also extend this to our listeners, Monty. And I, I know if there's something you want Monty and I to address at our next show, send me an email. If you've got a question, you want to bounce it off me and you don't want us to do it on the air, send me an email. My email address is abphd at msn.com. That's abphd at msn.com. And uh, we'd be more than glad to discuss your topics on the air if you'd like that or if it's... Uh, yeah more personal for you, I'd be more than glad to just respond. Absolutely. And if you don't want to, you know, let let me assure you folks that that we're not going to use your name or anything like that, so don't worry about it. We're not going to tell people... Yeah, we're not going to tell people your email address or sell your stuff or any of that thing. We are bound by by what I call the the decency of integrity here at Take12Radio.com. Yeah, you bet. Back to one other thing about these letters yes. before we uh, run out of time in this show, but it's been great, Monty. I think that uh, I hope people can feel the excitement I have about this topic. Yes, yeah, this is, this is great have. stuff, man. Yeah, you know, he was talking about that we've got to get off this emotional merry-go-round, and that's what we're really talking about doing. I mean, how easy, and this is the question I want our listeners to think about, how many times through the course of the day do you get knocked off balance emotionally? You see, what we're going to be talking about is the concept of your emotional center of gravity. If you keep your emotional center of gravity within yourself, then it's going to be very hard for people to knock you off balance. But as soon as I take my emotional center of gravity and let me say, let's say I put it in Monty, well, guess what? Now Monty has the ability to knock me off balance really easily. Because if he says something to me, since I've made him so important, if he says something to me that I don't like, I'm going to be knocked off balance. Wow. And Monty's going to be able to be in control of my emotional well-being. So this emotional center of gravity, this concept, is so important in this whole topic of emotional sobriety because you cannot have emotional sobriety. Unless you keep your emotional center of gravity within yourself. Okay, say that again. You cannot have emotional sobriety. You cannot have emotional sobriety unless you keep your emotional center of gravity within yourself. Now, let's go back to what I said earlier, Michelle. And I don't want to get this too complicated for people, but I hope they're able to start to piece together some of these things. So when we were, when we decided that who I am wasn't good enough and I had to be something else, I took my emotional center of gravity and I put it out there in the world. I was looking for love 
and acceptance and belonging from you. Now, I felt that I had to control you to get it, but I was looking for you to treat me a certain way so I could feel all right. So very early on in our life, we started off on the wrong foot, Mark. Yeah. We started off looking for others to make us okay rather than finding a way to become okay with ourselves. You know, and you and I know that people that are spiritual find a way to do that with their relationship with God, as they understand. Sure. They turn their will and their life and their emotions and their over to the care of a power greater than themselves. That's right. Not another that's human being. Yeah. That's right. That's spiritual. That's what we could call spiritual sobriety, right? Yeah, it's sure. going to follow some of these same paths. Because you can use spirituality to avoid yourself, too. You can use spirituality to avoid taking responsibility for yourself. Have you ever heard of what's called the spiritual bypass? No. I probably have. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Uh, Dr. Ingrid Matthew, who wrote Recovering Spirituality, uh, another great Hazelton book that I would recommend once, and we'll get her on the show at some point so she can talk about it, because she's much more familiar with it than I. Good. But what spiritual bypass is, is when we take our spirituality and we use it to avoid life rather than deal with life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. See, yeah. I, have, I have spiritual sobriety when I'm using my spirituality to help me deal with life on life's terms. When I start to hide out in my spirituality instead of dealing with life, then what happens is I'm using a spiritual bypass. Yeah. Oh boy. And then you know what? And I I see that in the form of religiosity. There you, you go. Know? Um, and because I think the word religion kind of gets a bad rap. You know, it's not right. a it's not a bad word. But I see that religiosity, that people that kind of have that pharisaical attitude, and and people right. people that do that become holier than thou. They right. they hide That's behind a bypass right there. Yes, they hide behind it's doctrine. That is a spiritual bypass. Yep, mm-hmm. they hide behind doctrine that they don't even practice. There and, you go. And, and, yeah, I know. I believe me. I I know exactly what you're talking about. And I have been guilty of that in in, in past. Listen, I, we I, all I, have. Yeah. If we get honest with ourselves, there's not a thing that you and I aren't going to be talking about here that we're not also guilty of. Yeah. That we're also, that we haven't done in our lives. Now, hopefully, what we're going to be able to do is to share some of our experience, strength, and hope. But we're doing this with you from a position of, of I to thou. I don't have all the answers about these things. I've been studying these things. I've got some things to share with you. So does Monty. But I'm not better than you. He's not better than you. I'm not less than you. He's not less than you. You know, it's I to thou. We're across the board here. And that's the spirit that we're going to be hopefully delivering this show. Ah, all right. Excellent. Excellent stuff. All right. If you'd like to email uh, Dr. My wife just had a nice smile when I said Oh, did she? Oh. Why don't you treat me that way? Oh, by the way, I want to. I want to tell. I want to. <laughs> I want to tell the listeners. Tell the listeners real quick. You have got an addition to your family. Oh yes, I am so blessed. This little girl joined me. On March 15th, my wife brought into the world Madeline Roseberger. Uh, and so I'm a new dad. She's just turned seven weeks old, and uh, I've fallen in love. I'm in, so in love with this little girl. She's just amazing. 
Well, it is obvious by some of your picture posts on your Facebook that <laughs> that you two have bonded. That's for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. We had a great day today, and and look, I just so excited about our first show, Monty. Great show tonight, as usual. Um, it's what I've come to know that you're about, and uh, and it's just great doing this with you. Well, bless bless your heart. You mean an awful lot. Uh, to me and uh, to to my family and and to many 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 listeners and readers, folks. Uh, Dr. Berger's email address one more time is abphd at msn dot com, and we'll have it here have it here posted here on the website. And also posted on the website is uh, the link to his website abphd dot com. Uh, and please uh, let let us know what you think. Let us you know uh, be nice. Please. <laughs> it's okay. They would, listen, our feedback, let, let us know if we're giving you what you want. Yeah. If there's something you want yeah, us to do, then we're not telling us about it. Listen, you know, we got to practice this thing, too. What I tell couples all the time, Mommy, is that communication is only as, only as good as your ability to tolerate the message. Yeah. We're going to tolerate whatever message. If there you have something you want to say to us, something that will improve the show, give us the feedback. Listen, and please, come back. This is just the beginning. We're going to be unpacking more and more of Bill's letter in the next couple shows to come. And then we've got some great, great things in store for you in terms of exploring what this means and what what is the problem and, more importantly, what is the solution. All right. Very, very well said. Folks, um, one more thing, uh, Dr. Berger. Would you please uh, give kudos to the author of Alan's Theme? Oh, yes. That was written by my uh, brother-in-law, Kevin Harasa who uh, lives on the island of Oahu. Uh, he's a professional musician. He's, uh, he's toured with Don Ho before, but he's just, uh, I just love him. He's a great brother, and he's a fantastic musician, and, and I love the song he created for us. Well, there you go, and that wraps it up uh, for the pilot episode, the first episode uh, that we're bringing back to you, Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger. Listen, we're going to be posting more of this uh, this series, so make sure that uh, you stay tuned and check back regularly to Take12Radio.com. You can listen to literally hundreds of our archive shows by visiting us at Take12Radio.com, you can click on the YouTube link, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Podomatic, or iHeartRadio. And all of our archives will be there. Uh, check them out. This is a perfect time if you're at home and you're not able to leave to catch up on some amazing shows. What we consider really uh, the best in recovery journalism here at Take 12 Recovery Radio. We thank all of our sponsors and all of you, our listeners, for tuning in. Remember to stay safe out there. Until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man, and we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. She's a super cat, super cat, she's super kitty, meow. Yeah, kitty, 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 meow.